The rest of us, if we'd make our way to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4, we began Philippians uh, 4, 4 last week, and we're going to Philippians 4, 5, and I chose to change my sermon series plans again because of everything going on in the world, and preach for five weeks on Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through verse 8. So um, those of you that missed last week, you can go online, and it's your homework to make sure you get last week's sermon on Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, because you'll miss things, and they will be on the test, or you can just go read the sermon. But anyways, we're going to be in verse 5 today, Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. So turn there here. I want to share something, though, that was shared with me this past week. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So last Sunday, the whole sermon was about that, rejoicing in the Lord Always being happy in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord. Um, you know, and A.W. Tozer wrote something, and this was on his, there's a devotional called Tozer on the Holy Spirit. And he writes about, about that, the idea of being happy. And he says, as happy as you are holy, that's a title, as happy as you are holy. And Psalm 146.5 says, happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. You hear that? Happy is he that has the God of Jacob. That means the God of Israel for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Is our hope in the Lord our God? Amen? Can we agree to that? Are we, you know, sometimes it could be translated when we talk about rejoicing in the Lord, it talks about being happy in the Lord. But we're happy in the Lord because he sustains us. He gives us that ability. Tozer writes about that verse. He says, the childish clamor after happiness can become a real snare. One may easily deceive himself by cultivating a religious joy without a correspondingly righteous life. You hear that? We do not want a religious joy without a correspondingly righteous life. Tozer continues, no man should desire to be happy who is not at the same time holy. He should spend his efforts in seeking to know and do the will of God, leaving to Christ the matter how happy he shall be. For those who take this whole thing seriously, I have a suggestion. Go to God and have an understanding. Tell him that it is your desire to be holy at any cost. And then ask him never to give you more happiness than holiness. When your holiness becomes tarnished, let your joy become dim. And ask him to make you holy, whether you're happy or not. Be assured that in the end, you will be as happy as you are holy. That is an interesting way of thinking of things, but we want God to meet our needs uh, as we seek him in holiness. Now, what does holy mean? Holy means to be set apart. So to, to, to pursue the holy life means that we are set apart to serve God. We are set apart for God. It doesn't mean you don't do things for fun. If you like going fishing, go fishing. But give God worship and praise while you're fishing and don't go on Sunday mornings. And if you like deer hunting, same thing. If you like, you know, worship God with your work. Worship him and focus on him and all things. So today we're going to go to Philippians 4, 5. We talked about rejoicing in the Lord. And now we're going to go to the next verse. Which is about gentleness. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. I want to set up the sermon on gentleness, and to do that, I want you to think about the opposite. Think with me about anger. 
anger. People today still have murder, anger in their heart. Take, for example, this classified ad. Wedding dress for sale, never worn, will trade for 38 caliber pistol. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson believed when angry, count to 10. You probably heard that. If very angry, count to 100. Mark Twain said, when angry, count to four. If very angry, swear. Well, don't do that. Paul tells us, let your gentle spirit be known to all. There's a lot of anger going around right now, isn't there? There is worry, anxiety, frustration, mistrust, violence, and the response is often anger, isn't it? That's a lot of times our response. And a lot of times we even justify our anger, and we justify our rage, and we justify our sarcasm. We justify not being gentle. But you know what I think is disarming? Gentleness is disarming. By the way, in your bulletin, there's a fill in the blank. And if you're following those blanks, the first blank is disarming. So I gave you the answer there. So if you want to, if you like that type of thing, it's in there. I believe strongly that gentleness is, is disarming. If we have a gentle disposition, a gentle attitude, a gentle spirit, I believe strongly that is disarming. That's something to pray for. I'm not saying I'm there. I preach this to me before I preach it to anybody else. And, and I, I've been praying this for me for years. So we're in a short sermon series on Philippians 4, 4 through 8. As I said, last week we talked about rejoicing in the Lord always, Philippians 4, 4. Today we're going to be talking about Philippians 4, 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Next week we're going to talk about being anxious for nothing. Being anxious for nothing. Instead... Pray. That's Philippians 4, 6. In two weeks, we're going to talk about uh, uh, having the peace of God, Philippians 4, 7. How to have the peace of God. Now, how many of us want the peace of God, right? I mean, show of hands. Don't we all want, desire, crave the peace of God? We're going to talk about how to have the peace of God in, in a few weeks. And then we will wrap up this short series with Philippians 4, 8. Think on these things. Think on these things. So let's read Philippians 4, 5, and I want to talk about being gentle. My application today is that we would seek to be gentle, that we would seek to be gentle. So if you're not there yet, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. It's a very simple verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Let your gentle spirit, spirit is lowercase right there. I believe that's not talking about the whole, it, I mean, you, you can be gentle by the Holy Spirit, but it's just a gentle disposition, a gentle inner spirit within you. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. So as we begin, I want to talk about seeking to have a gentle disposition. Seeking to have a gentle disposition. You know, I, I usually read from the New American Standard Bible, the NASB. And that's what the, the NASB said, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The ESV translation, which is a good, evangelical, very conservative translation, the ESV says reasonableness. Let your reasonableness be known to all men. 
But it seems to me that gentleness is a better translation. And don't take my word for it. A very good pastor, scholar, writer, John Piper, uh, said the same thing. In fact, if you subscribe, John Piper has these little 10-minute videos called Look at the Book. We'll take 10 minutes taking apart one verse. He'll spend six or eight sessions on one verse, which he did on this verse. And he thought gentleness is a better translation. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. You know, I must begin by giving a disclaimer here. I like to believe, and I think, I'm a pretty passionate person. I am generally a passionate person, and this is expressed in energy. In this speed, I do not do slow very well. Like, talking this slow is very hard on me, okay? Just so you know. It's not, I, I was raised a middle child. We know how to talk fast when you're a middle child. Um, so I, I, I have two speeds. One speed is passion and energy, and the other speed is dead sleep, you know? I don't, I don't like doing slow very well. And sometimes this, this, this passion and this energy could be ex expressed in anything but gentleness, I don't think that that is sinful. So if you're a passionate person, and when you're discussing something, maybe your voice gets raised because you're passionate about the subject, I don't think that that is sinful necessarily. However, I do think it's important for each person to reflect. And we do not want, I do not want somebody to misperceive my passion or energy or volume as aggression. We don't want that. We don't want that at all. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want people to think that I'm passionate, so I'm being aggressive. We had this professor when I was in college. Craig and Rachel probably know him, Dr. Cook. And he would always wrap up class, you know, slamming his hand on a table in front and say, oh, that does it for today. And people thought he was intimidating. They would just jump in their seats. And I remember one particular class where he said, somebody said I was intimidating. And he was really hurt by that. He did not want to be perceived as intimidating. We don't want that. We want to be perceived as gentle. And that's the whole point of this message today. I believe that gentleness is disarming. I don't want people to feel like they need to walk around on eggshells around me. And I hope you don't either. I want people to know that they can say anything to me and I'm not going to fly off the handle. That's just personal application. You take that and do what it's worth. I remember I was in junior ROTC in high school. It's a junior military type thing. And one day the teacher, the instructor, he was a lieutenant... Um, now, I think he was a chief petty officer in the Navy. And he said, you can come to me with anything you want. Just use tact. You know, I want people to be able to do that. Come in anything. And they're not, I'm not going to fly off the handle. Gentleness is disarming. And right now, the Bible is calling us to be gentle. I think a gentle disposition is something for Christians to seek. You know, we always want to justify our anger, don't we? How many times have I heard people say, it's righteous anger? Well, listen, you may have righteous anger, but it may not be expressed righteously. That can happen. Anger is not healthy. Anger is not healthy. If you're filling in the blanks and following along in the bulletin insert, that's your next blank. You know, we know, and it's obvious, if you're justifying your anger and how that anger is expressed and you think that's healthy, you're wrong. 
It's not healthy. We know that medically more now than ever. The Bible tells us that for sure. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your anger. And it actually seems like in that passage, which is in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul is pretty much saying, don't be angry. Get over it. Think about it. Reflect. Do some journaling. How often... On my own part, I have to admit, I am angry about things that I really cannot control and have no right to get so angry about. Why do, why do things bother us so much? Think about that. Anger is not healthy. Your blood pressure goes up. Cortisol is released, which causes weight gain. Uh, we all know that anger is not healthy. Guess what? Gentleness is very healthy. And gentleness is not only healthy for the individual, but for all those around that individual, right? I mean, gentleness is very healthy. I mean, unless maybe your kid's going to run out in front of a car and get hit, then you want to raise your volume and yell and say, stop. You know, that's a different story. But that's not really not being gentle. It's raising your voice for a purpose, for a purpose. I strongly believe too often we justify our anger. We justify our volume. We justify that type of thing. And instead, we need to pray like the psalmist, search me, oh God, and try me. Gentleness is healthy. I read this. It's pretty funny. The more heated the disagreement, the more our inner steam tank builds to the breaking point. And it is all we can do to keep a level head through the whole explosive episode. You ever think about that? You get angry, and then the person you're talking to gets angry, and then you both get angry, and then the dog runs and hides under the bed. It's not healthy for anyone. The cat doesn't care. Cats know they're the boss in the house. You know that we saw, we know now that cats do not meow to other cats. They only meow to the person, the owner. So in reality, they're saying, come hither, slave. But, you know, but anger is not healthy for the whole household. It is not healthy. This reminds me of the Quaker who owned an ornery cow. Every time he melted her, it was a clash of two wills. This particular morning, she was unusually irritable. But get this, he was determined to endure the session without so much as a cross word. As the farmer began to milk her, old bossy stepped on his foot with all her weight. He struggled silently, groaned a little under his breath, pulled his foot free, then sat back down on the stool. She then swished her tail on his face like a long strip, like a long string whip, whipped him with her tail. He merely leaned away so it wouldn't be able to reach him. Next, she kicked over the bucket by then half full of warm milk. He started over, mumbling a few words to himself, but he never lost his cool. Once finished with the ordeal, he breathed a sign of relief, picked up the bucket and stole, and as he was leaving, she hauled off and kicked him against the barn wall 12 to 15 feet away. That did it. He stood to his feet. He marched in front of his cow. He stared into those big eyes, and he shook his long bony finger in her face, and he shouted, Thou doest know that I am a Quaker. Thou doest know also that I cannot strike thee back, but I can sell thee to a Presbyterian. <laughs> I don't know if he did or not, but Paul calls us to be gentle. I believe that the more I respond to my children now in gentleness, the better our relationship will be when they get older. Think about that. When we respond in gentleness, we try to model gentleness, we try to model a gentle disposition, oftentimes I believe 
Things are better in the future. But if we are responding in anger, in raising our voice all the time to our children, now I speak as one with somewhat young kids in their home, maybe it's to grandchildren for you or to others, if we're always responding with sarcasm and anger or a raised voice or sharp, biting words, someday they'll respond to us that way. I strongly believe that. Don't get me wrong, I think there is a time to respond with force. Of course, one has to raise their voice to get attention occasionally, right? Or for emphasis or some other reason. But I believe our pattern should be gentleness. Our pattern should be gentleness. And by the way, I'm not only talking about in how loud our voice is, I'm also talking about in our disposition, what we say, our mannerisms, you know, the words we use, all that type of stuff. Our pattern should be gentleness. Get this. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, gentleness is a second from the last of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. These are are things that show that you have the Holy Spirit within you. Is fruit, really, not fruits. And these are, you know, just like an apple tree should have apples, Christians should have these types of fruit. And they're love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That means that a Christian ought to be defined by gentleness. And when we are not, it's not the end of the world, we're not losing our faith, but when we're not, we go to those and we say, I'm sorry, I responded too aggressive. I asked for your forgiveness. Maybe it wasn't sin. Maybe it's just you still think you weren't. Maybe you just still apologize. Own up to it and aim to be gentle. Now let's talk more about this passage in context. Paul tells him to be gentle or let their gentleness be known to all. That's the next blank if you're following along. Again, Paul doesn't say let people know you are gentle when things are going well and people are nice to you. No. He says that your gentleness be known to everyone. It's not circumstantial. It doesn't mean you can justify rage and anger in certain situations. No, let your gentleness be known to all. This gentleness may be exactly why Paul could be a good witness. Paul was being a witness even though he was in prison. And by the way, as a reminder, I've been... I switched to preach about this passage because there's a lot of stressors going on in our society right now. I hope, I don't know if you've noticed, you know, it's in the year of Corona or also known as Rona. You know, there's a nickname Rona and there's a lot going on. And then you have the riots and and all these other things. And so this sermon series is hopefully to remind us, keep rejoicing in the Lord. That was verse four. Keep rejoicing in the Lord. And when we rejoice in the Lord... We can let our gentleness be known to all. And he says the Lord is near. We're going to come back to that in a minute. And then the next verse for next week, do not be anxious for anything. He doesn't say some things. Do not be anxious for anything. But in all situations, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It's a gut check that we're all going through right now, right? I mean, if things are taking our joy, we need to go to the Lord and say, this is robbing my joy. Help me, Lord. Let you be my help. Paul tells him to be gentle. And maybe Paul's gentle spirit, his gentle disposition, could be why he could be a good witness. To be gentle likely means to be kind. So they are to be kind in all situations. Again, I said this last week, I'll say it again. Philippians, the Philippians, the church at Philippi, they had had faced persecution. 
when they're going through persecution, how could Paul call them to be gentle? Paul's in jail. Paul is chained to a Roman centurion, yet he calls them to be gentle? Really? Seriously? And yet in chapter 1, Paul says, don't worry about it. I've been able to be a witness to the whole Praetorian Guard. I mean, that's a different spin on things, isn't it? One person could say, and I would probably be saying, woe is me, woe is me, I'm chained to a guard all my life, all my days. Paul responds, guess what? I got this guy chained to me, and guess what? He needs Jesus. He needs to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. He's chained to me. He's not going anywhere. I can be a witness of the salvation which is freely offered in Jesus. Acts 16. The Philippian jailer saved because in, at midnight, Paul and Silas had been beaten, had been, had been thrown in jail, and they're singing hymns. What? Who does that? Paul does that. How can he do that? Because the Holy Spirit's inside of him. Paul calls us to be gentle. Matthew 5.44, Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 5.11, Jesus says that we are blessed when persecuted for him. In Acts 5.41, these people are persecuted and they leave rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Wow, maybe we ought to think about that. Maybe I ought to think about that. But I believe Paul gives one of the best reasons to be gentle at the end of this verse. Paul says, the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. Now, this can mean one of two things or both. One, he could mean the Lord's second coming is close. The Lord is coming again close. Judgment is near. Or he could mean the Lord is near in spirit. Now, I think the second one is for sure true. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. That means he's with you. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are baptized, immersed with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, I want to say verse 9, says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. The Lord is near in spirit. Paul says, be kind to them. Even when they persecute you, their judgment is near. That's something that's going to happen too. We will all stand before the judge. And that's your next blank. Uh, persecute you if you're following that. Either way, they had hope, and we have hope too. The Lord was near to them. They were not alone. The Holy Spirit was with them, and the Holy Spirit is with us as well. This kind of gentleness, though, fits the rest of the letter of Philippians. The letter of Philippians has been called an epistle of joy. An epistle of joy. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, Paul told them to have the attitude of Christ. And what was the attitude of Christ? To consider others more important than ourselves. How often are we doing that? We look at somebody, do we realize we're called to consider them of higher value than ourselves? What also, and that's Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. And then verse 4, Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 says, Look out for others' needs before your own. We can be gentle because that's how we're called to live. And that's what Jesus did. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it says that Jesus left his heavenly throne. He came down, lived in poverty, took shame, went to the cross, was crucified for us. He didn't have to do that. He chose to do that because he was thinking on us first. In Philippians 2, 14, they were exhorted to do all things without grumbling or complaining. How are we doing with that? What's our complaint meter like? In Philippians 3, Paul talked about giving up all his worldly achievements for Christ. 
Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained under one of the top teachers of the day, Gamaliel. And he said, I give it all up. I count it as worthless. I count it as dung. I count it as, you know, those nasty things, you know, for knowing Christ. The idea of gentleness is throughout the New Testament. And when you go home, you can look up 1 Timothy 3.3, Titus 3.2, James 3.17, 1 Peter 2.18, 2 Corinthians 10.1. All about gentleness. Of course, we don't need those other passages because we have this passage where Paul calls us to be gentle. And we have the fruit of the Spirit passage where we see that gentleness is evidence of the Holy Spirit within us. I believe, though, our best help in being gentle is in the next two verses. Paul's told them to rejoice always. Paul's told them to be gentle to everyone. But how? Through prayer with thanksgiving. And we're going to come back to that next week. How can we be gentle? Through prayer with thanksgiving. For now, I want to apply this. To be gentle must mean that I pray about this often. Personally, if I want to have a gentle disposition, I must take it to the Lord in prayer. I must pray about it. Sometimes you have to make your, your, your prayers have fingers. You have to journal. Journal a little bit. Reflect. Think about that. And again, I'm not saying don't. If you're a passionate person, go ahead. Make sure that people aren't misperceiving that, though, as anger. And, you know, try to be gentle. We must be gentle to all people, even when it is not easy. That's another application. If we have issues with anger and rage, we must get help now. Go to Celebrate Recovery. See a counselor. Talk to me. I'd love to help you. Get help. We must repent when we are not gentle with people. We don't always like to talk about that word repent, do we? I don't know why. When we repent, we're better. We're closer to God. We're able to make things right. We're closer to God and others. I always find it interesting if I'm talking to somebody and I say, you probably need to repent of that sin if they get angry at me. Because to me, that's showing a little bit more pride, too. Like, why can't we be humble and say, search me, O God, and try me? Maybe, perhaps, I do need to repent. So when I am not gentle, I need to repent. We must seek to be gentle, not only in volume, but mannerisms and words. To be gentle may mean that we see what happens to keep us from being gentle on certain occasions. Reflect. What happens in my life? When I am not gentle, what are my trigger points? I know mine. I'll, I'll give you one. If I try to do too many things at once, at one point, I thought I could put up a ceiling fan in an hour. I put up two other ceiling fans in an hour, but this was a ceiling fan from the devil, okay? I'm pretty sure he asked God permission to torment me with this ceiling fan. I thought I was going to get it done in an hour and then go on to the rest of my day didn't work and I was not gentle and I had to repent of that and also had to recognize no more ceiling fans for Steve okay <laughs> had to repent of that that's a trigger over scheduling you know there you might have different things that trigger you try to work on those to be gentle we must learn to let go of things that we cannot control let go of things that we cannot control. There might be some things going on in politics that make you upset. Maybe make us upset. Maybe you can say it's righteous anger. Well, make sure you're responding gently. You can't control them. Give your vote. Study. Pray, pray, pray. That's more than anything. And then let it go. Don't let those things rob your joy. 
During this COVID crisis, many are worried and angry over things which we cannot control. We must let them go. We must, we must turn them over to the Lord. To be gentle, we must turn our worries over to God in prayer. And that's the next verse, which we're going to talk about next week. We, this is a difficult one. We must pray about this with our family, friends, and church family. We must link up with the church for help being gentle. And that's Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. Ecclesiastes 4, 12. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. There's a lot of people who are not really connected to the church. And they question, we question, why can't I conquer this sin? It may be gentleness, it may be pornography, it may be something else. It's because you have not invited in other Christians to help you. We need prayer partners. We need accountability partners. I know some of you are likely thinking, no, all I need is the Lord. I just need to pray to the Lord. And that's not true. The Lord wants to use his people to help you. And most of the time, it's pride that's in the way. You don't want to call up a Christian friend and say, I need help. Pray with me that I can be more gentle. Pray with me that I can have a gentle disposition. Pray with me that I can conquer whatever sin that I need to conquer. God wants to use a church family. We're not called to live the Christian life isolated. We're not called to do that. That's not how he calls us to live. We must link up with the church. And lastly, well, this is my last application. You might have more. We must see this as important. We must see gentleness as important. You're not going to conquer sin if you don't see it as important. You're not going to conquer anything. You know, I read an article last week. I signed up for a webinar counseling people that just don't want to change. They say they want to change, but if they really did, they would probably, you know, put some more effort in. If you don't see this as important, it's not going to happen. When I was in a high school youth group, there was a young man a few years behind me. He seemed like a good kid. I mean, he liked to have a little fun, maybe uh, cause some disruption, but typical high school behavior. He came from a very strong family, a very strong Christian family. His dad led our children's ministry at our church as a volunteer. They owned a business. He went to a Christian school. He liked to hunt and planned to go to college to major in forestry. I graduated and we lost touch. However, after a few years, I heard about him. He was in college. He got into an argument with his girlfriend. The argument got out of hand. And he stabbed her to death with a penknife. A penknife. He was filled with rage and he lost control. He went to jail and he was released on parole for a time. And during that parole, my younger brother went fishing with him. He was safe to be around, but his anger got the best of him. Eventually, he was sent to prison, where I'm told he's actually doing a lot of good ministry there, which is good. Listen, we must seek to be gentle and get control of our anger before something like that happens. But in order to truly get control of our anger, we may need help. Get help. Some of you are there thinking, I only lose control a few times. I, maybe some of you are thinking, I have a gentle disposition all the time. Well, if you're that confident, ask your spouse, ask a close friend. That's where the prayer partner comes in because it's hard for us to evaluate ourselves objectively. But even if you're not gentle most of the time, even if it's just a little problem, I believe God's word still tells us to seek help. He says, 
let your gentleness be evident to all. Not just sometimes, not just some people, all the time. There's a book called Good to Great. It's a business book. And at the very beginning, it says good is the enemy of great. Isn't it, though? Many of you might be thinking, I'm doing good enough. Good enough isn't good enough. Seek to have a gentle disposition all the time. Seek to let the Lord meet your needs all the time. None of us will be there until God takes us to heaven. But we got to keep taking one foot, you know, one step forward. We got to keep going to the next task. All of us should seek gentleness. This is the word of God. But of course, the first step is knowing Jesus. And I want to ask where you stand with Jesus. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? The Bible uses four verbs. Verbs are action words. Four verbs to describe our commitment to Christ. Confess, believe, trust, and commit. We're called to confess we are sinners in need of a Savior. That means we repent to God. We need a Savior because God's standard is holiness, righteousness, and perfection. And one sin separates us from God. We're called to repent. We're called to confess. And then we're called to believe. Believe in Jesus as the one and only Savior. Believe that he died in the cross for our sins and rose again. Believe John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, his only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall inherit everlasting life. Confess, believe, and we're called to trust in him and commit to him. Sometimes we end up being believers, but we're not committed to him. He calls us to commit to him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for prayer. Where are you at? Have you been a believer in Jesus, but you've not been committed to him? It's time to commit to him today. Are you one that maybe you were committed to him years ago, but you're not committed anymore? It's time to rededicate your life to him today. Maybe you've never confessed, never believed, never trusted and committed. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you think you need to rededicate your life to Christ, pray this prayer with me. If you think you need to commit your life to Jesus for the first time, pray this prayer with me. You're not saved by the prayer. You're saved by what's in your heart. But the prayer is telling God what you're doing. And don't wait for tomorrow. You never promise tomorrow. Commit to make Jesus your Lord and Savior now. Let's pray. If you're called to commit, this, commit your life to Jesus, pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I am trusting in you as Lord and Savior, and I am committing my life to you. Please come into my life and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer, share it with somebody today. Angels in heaven rejoice over one person who repents, one sinner who repents. God wants, he desires a relationship with all of us. He really loves you and he wants that relationship with you. If you're kind of not sure about Christianity, maybe you have some questions. Talk to me, I'd love to help you. Even if you're an atheist or a, even a non-believer, even maybe you follow another religious view, talk to me. I'd love to answer your questions about Christianity in a nice, calm conversation. If you're a Christian that struggles with doubts, I say this almost every week, talk to me, I'd love to help you. I invite the worship team for our closing song and prayer. Amen.